Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. So good morning. Uh, my name is Russ Brackenbury, and I am on the preaching team for the C3 campuses through the Okanagan and into Revelstoke. And my wife and I have the privilege of being the campus pastors here. So welcome to church. And if you're joining us by podcast later, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to join us on the podcast. There, that worked out pretty good. So uh, this, so the C3 regional campuses, so Revelstoke, Vernon, Kelowna, we are doing uh, a summer series called Angels Don't Have Wings. And so what we're doing is we're looking at some of the beliefs that some people hold because they've heard quotes that sound super biblical, but they're not, right? Uh, so it's uh, <laughs> really important that we correct um, misinterpretation or... Um, like, let's help people understand what the Bible really says, right? Because uh, if you don't believe it accurately, then you won't live accurately as, out of it. So Pastor Dave started us out last week. Uh, what misconception did he discuss last week? God wants you to be happy. The misconception that God wants you to be happy. I remember people like, what? I'm not supposed to be happy? Well, it's not that you can't be happy, but happiness is not God's primary concern. Your happiness is not God's primary concern. Um, some people don't like to hear that because we, we kind of believe uh, kind of the genie in the bottle of Jesus, that we need something, we rub the lamp and it comes true. But that's not really how the Christian life is, right? So God's goal for us is to be transformed into the image of his son, right? And if you, in that transformation process, you may not always be happy, right? You may have joy, but you will not always be happy. So today, I'm going to tackle everybody's favorite topic, money. Woo! Woo! Because we all know that money is the root of all evil. Or is it? Or is it? That's one of our little misquoted things, right? The, it's a, the, Pastor Dave said something last week that really struck a chord in me. He said, uh, we live out of what we believe. Right? Uh, and it's true. Even if, we, even if what we believe isn't true, we still live out of it. Because that's our belief. So, if you believe that the Bible teaches that, that even that money is the, root, is the root of all evil, then that's how you're going to live. And it's a t those beliefs that we have, these false beliefs, they're like this timeless trap. right? They, they bind us up. They keep us from living the abundant life that God would have us to live. So uh, God has this life that he intends for you. And falsely quoted scriptures... You know, money is the root of all evil. It's not, it's not true. But if you, if you think that, and you think that's really a scripture, 
that's how you're going to live your life. And so the goal of what we want to do through this is we want to break, break those misconceptions. And to do that, we're going to take our little verse today, we're going to take the right, the true quote, and we're going to break it into little bits. So this is what the scripture actually says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. For the love of money, not money, for the love of money is our root of all kinds of evil. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Do you see the difference? If you don't, that's okay, because we're going to break it down into little bits. So let's talk about the love of money. So money is a neutral medium. It can be used for good or bad. Uh, in the little sideboard of my truck, I carry a knife. Uh, it's a rescue knife that we, I got through the fire department. It has a thing where I can cut a seatbelt. Uh, it's, it's an amazing knife. I can use that knife for good. Or, you know, I could cut somebody out of a car. I could cut myself out of my truck if I'm in an accident. But I could unfold that knife and, you know, stab my wife if she's backseat driving. Right? <laughs> but it's not the knife that's bad. It's my action that's, that defines how good that knife or bad that knife is. Right? And so it's about control. It depends on what you do with it. Uh, you have to control it. Um, not the other way around. I can't let, oh, I have a knife, I have to stab something. No, that's not the way it works, right? So, uh, remember the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20? So here's a list of some of the commands that if you really love money, this is how you're going to look at the commandments or how you're not obeying them. So if you love money, you're not obeying the fact that the Ten Commandments say to have no other gods before him. You're not believing or you're not living on not making idols because money has become your idol. You're breaking the command that you shall not covet because you're never satisfied. You're not remembering to keep the Sabbath holy because you're wholly bent on every waking moment accumulating money. So now, if you fully commit to loving money, you know, not just liking it a lot, loving it, fully committed to it. You can even go as far as breaking these ones because people have done these in the quest for making money because of their love for money. They've, you must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Because money manifests character, right? If um, you, can't, you can't help it. What you believe about money is manifested in your character. And these people who have given themselves over to the love of money, you know, they would even try and justify things like murder and stealing. Well, you know, it's just, what, it's just one of those things that happens. You know, like I have to get ahead. I've got to get ahead. I have to do whatever I can to accumulate money. And so these things become part of it. So remember, you live out of what you believe. So... If you happen to be the one that succumbs to the love of money, your character will reflect it. And character is reflected in outward action. You know, and when I was uh, working in the mill, we, we have a disciplinary process. And someone said to me one day, well, that guy's, he's got a bad attitude today. And, you know, we need to discipline that. Like, how can you discipline an attitude? 
right? Now, if his attitude caused him to do something that, you know, he was bullying and harassing someone or, you know, insubordination, well, that is a result of his attitude, but there was an action that was defined. So you can say that someone's attitude is something, but there has to be a definition of an action to go with that. And so the char your character breeds action. So let's, let's look at what the book of Ecclesiastes says. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Right? Uh, it's a drive that is never satisfied. When is enough enough? If you love money, the answer is never. Right now, there are wealthy people in our world. Are all wealthy people bad people? No, of course not, right? There are some very wealthy people that uh, turn around and give lots of, of money and their wealth back into the community, what they call it, philanthropic, did I pronounce that right? Philanthropists, yeah. right? And they use their wealth for the good of their community, right? Now, we can't always say how they've accumulated that wealth, you know, and I'm not about to judge that because uh, I don't know. But there are people who are wealthy who give a lot of money back into the community, and we need to be grateful for that. But the person who loves money, the one who is never satisfied with it, no matter how great his wealth gets, he never has enough. So when do you put a ceiling on it? When you say, when I hit a net worth of a million dollars, all my money extra from that is going to go to this. You don't often hear about people who have this love of money putting a ceiling on what they will go for. So they're never satisfied. But let's see. So the love of money is a root. So notice that it says it's a root, not the root. It's a very, um, if it's the root, that means there's no other root of evil. But that's not true. Right? So if you, uh, you know, if you want to know what the root of all evil is, Look no further than Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's the root of all evil. Sin is the root of all evil. And it's just manifest in all sorts of different, or different ways. So consider a tree. Now I'm familiar with trees. Uh, they have a root system. So what's the root system of a tree for? Okay, there was another thing besides stability. Water. Okay, so stability, so it supports that big trunk of the tree, right? And yeah, it conveys water and nutrients to all the other parts of the tree. So the health of that tree depends on the roots, right? If we want to fertilize our tree that's in the front yard, we don't spray the leaves. We go and we put nutrients into the roots so that it will come up the tree and be uh, exposed in the branches and in the leaves and in the flowers. So the health of the tree depends on the root. Sometimes the tree grows tall and thick, but then we get a good windstorm, and what happens? The tree topples. It, it looked great. It looked beautiful. I, I saw the most stunning weeping willow tree in a guy's yard for years until the one night I saw it laying against his fence. Because the roots look like this. 
right? Shallow, so very widely spread. This, this is uh, common in like a valley bottom type thing where you have good, good, lots of moisture and so the tree roots don't really have to go deep because they get all this moisture and nutrients right away from the top. But the wind comes up and all of a sudden the roots don't have enough to anchor it and they blow over. I was really surprised the first time I drove through Cathedral Grove on Vancouver Island that I saw that, that this isn't a picture of Cathedral Grove, but here's these beautiful massive trees and you know, all I could think of is like, wow, they're on the ground because their roots wouldn't support what, ha what happened to the rest of the tree. So the love of money will affect everything around the person. If your root is the love of money, it will affect everything in your world. So how can we tell if the root, if the love of money has taken root in a person, what may that person look like? What may some of their traits be? So here's some of the root, some of the root qualities of a person who loves money. Failure to share out of your abundance, not frugal. <laughs> you know, I'm just being frugal. No, you're being cheap. Right? You're tight, you're stingy. Right? You fight about money with your family and friends because everything revolves around money. What's going to happen when my mom dies? Where's her money going to go? Uh, who's going to get the house? Who's going to get this? Um, you know, uh, we've, we've seen it where death in families, it just brings out the, the claws. You know, and, and you think siblings who look like they've gotten along all of a sudden don't. Right? Things happen. Uh, you can't stop thinking about how to earn more. So even in the quietness of your day, your mind is going to, how do I accumulate more wealth? You will not prioritize anyone or anything that interferes with your attaining more. So just a little sub thing I was thinking of when I went through this. So if English is your second language, tight, T-I-G-H-T, fight, F-I-G-H-T, bite, B-I-T-E. Right? No wonder people have a hard time learning a language. Uh, S-T-I-N-G, sting. Add the Y, stingy. Yeah. All of a sudden, like, why isn't it a J? Right? So my heart goes out to you if you're trying to learn English as a second language. The, the rules just don't seem to apply. Uh, that's not what I wanted to get into, but I just thought about that while I was looking at it. I thought, oh, how do you, how do you come up with these? But do you see that the root of loving money will affect everything that you do because it goes beyond just provision for yourself and your family? Right? Even provision for your, yourself and your family isn't enough. Right? There always has to be more. You're always after net worth. You're always after the attaining of something monetarily or uh, you need the bigger boat or the nicest house or the, the best truck or all those different things and you can't stop thinking about how to get more. So the love of money is a root of all kinds. So. There's a Greek word in this for all kinds, and I will not embarrass myself by trying to pronounce it poorly, but it conveys these parts of something building up into a whole. So if, I, if you go over to my house and you look from the street at my house, you see I have a roof. You don't see the whole roof, but you see this front part of my roof. And for the sake of math, we're going to say that that roof is 1,000 square feet. So according... Maybe Josh could rattle this off the top of his head. Uh, but according to my roofcalculator.com, 
I'm going to need 870 shingles to make that happen. Um, each bundle of shingles is typically 29 shingles. So how many bundles will you need? That's the math quiz for you today. But I'm going to need 870 shingles. Hey, yeah. <laughs> um, so you don't just go up there and throw them on the roof, right? There's this process that you go through to get them up there so that they fit tightly, they're sealed, your roof doesn't leak. But it's that layer upon layer, line upon line. Are they straight? Are they fitted properly? Are they overlapped properly? Because you put all that work in and you don't want your roof to leak. But it's the, that's what the precept of this Greek word talks about is this, all these little pieces fitting together to make something whole. Piece by piece, layer upon layer. So, um, you, you don't see all the work that goes into it, but you see the result, right. right? And that's that way with the people who have the love of money. You may not see all that goes into that love, but you certainly will see the result um, because that character is being built piece by piece, decision by decision, act upon act. You may not see all the background that went into it, but you're going to see the result. So it's not one kind of evil, it's all kinds, but it's of evil. So the biblical definition of evil, morally reprehensible, sinful, or wicked, or anything that harms or contradicts the holy nature of God. We could probably wind that down into anything that contradicts the holy nature of God. So the Greek word, I love the Greek, but I can't pronounce it very well. So the Greek word in this instance refers to this inner malice that just flows out into a, they call it, a rotten character. So is this what's supposed to be flowing out of a godly man? No, of course not. John 7.38 says that rivers of living water will flow from the heart of anyone who believes in me. I would personally rather have the rivers of living water flowing from me than morally reprehensible, sinful, and wicked um, acts, right? So the, the love of money dams that river, right? The love of money dams the river of God from flowing out because you've backed it up. You, by choices you have made, you have changed the river, you have damned the river, and what's coming out of that inner part now is not, <laughs> not the water of living life, living water. So let's rewrite the verse based on what we've just talked about. So the love of money is the hidden support and stabilizing factor which piece by piece, layer upon layer, creates a morally reprehensible character contradictory to the holy nature of God. So now let's, let's, let's just be clear that this is the love of money, not money, right? This is the love of money is a root of all evil, not money is the root of all evil. So it's important when we look at verses that we look in context, right? So if you're, if you're a student of scripture, don't just pick a verse, and that's, that's what I'm going by, right? So it's important that when you look at something, you take it 
compare it to the whole. What's it, what's it like in the verses surrounding it? What's it like in the book? How does it compare? So in this instance, we have uh, Paul writing in the, in the book. Uh, what does this look like compared to other things that Paul has said? How does that equate to other things other disciples have said? Does it equate to something back in the Old Testament? All these things should flow together because the Bible is the progressive revelation of God. So if you are looking at something in the New Testament, maybe there's something in the Old Testament that refers to it as well. Don't, don't negate the Old Testament when you're looking at the New Testament. Uh, like I've said before, hey, if you're writing, reading the Bible cover to cover every year, you're into September before you're into the New Testament. So if the first eight months of the year are the Old Testament, well, then it's got to be important. We've got to believe that the Old Testament is still important. But compare it in different versions. See what other versions may say uh, about the same type of verse. See what other Bible verses support it. But let's look at our verse with the surrounding verses. For godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds, a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So I think verse 10 makes more sense now when it's taken as a part of that whole scripture surrounding it. So I want to emphasize, though, again, that the Bible does not even teach that it's sinful to be rich, right? It doesn't teach that. It does teach that sometimes it's difficult for the rich. Jesus saying to his disciples, this is from Matthew 19, I truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Note he doesn't say it's impossible, but he says it's difficult. A few verses after this verse in Matthew 19, it actually says with man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Right? And if you, if you just look at that verse in and of itself, that just, with all things are, God, all things are possible. Well, you have to put it in the context where he's back talking about the rich entering the kingdom of God. That it's actually, all things are possible. The rich can enter the kingdom of God. It may be difficult for them because they've learned to put their trust in their riches. And now they have to shift that allegiance and shift that trust into things of God. And sometimes if you've, if you've made a lot of money apart from God, it's difficult to come in because of what it's going to, you know, how many times have we heard people say, well, God just wants my money. The church just wants my money. Uh, you know, the, the church does run on money, on people's gifts and giving. But truthfully, God wants your heart more than he wants your money. Right? Even in, back in the Old Testament, uh, Samuel is even saying to Saul that you know, to obey is better to sac than sacrifice. He, he's worried about obedience, not just the acts that go with it. So no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So if you, if you serve God, if you want to serve God with your whole heart, then money serves you, right? 
money is to be our servant. We are not to be the servant of money. And you have to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? Because we've already seen that money becomes an idol. Money takes the place, money may take the place of God in someone's heart and life. And the Bible says that that's not the way we should be, right? So um, here's the Christian response to the love of money. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So now, again, this isn't saying go sell everything and give your money to the church. It's not saying it. But it's talking about where your treasure is. And our treasure is to be on heavenly things. You know, that Jesus said in Matthew, don't worry about what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So the, the key is to keep a heavenly perspective. Right? Our, our mind is supposed to be on the, on the heavenly, on the treasures in heaven, not on just, I've got to accumulate wealth here on earth. Uh, I love in the book Ecclesiastes, it says, why work for year upon year to accumulate wealth only to die and give it to someone who may be a fool? <laughs> oh, true, right? So what are you going to do with all of this that you accumulate if all your goal is to accumulate? But the, the, the biblical challenge is as you accumulate wealth in your physical life to keep that heavenly perspective on it and to look and see what, what does God anticipate or ask me to do with that wealth that I accumulate. And, and to be willing, you know, don't be that person that squirrels it away and isn't it, like, I have to have this money for myself. I can't afford to share it. I can't give anything. I can't help people. I have to have it for myself and provide for my family. Well, the Bible says that God is our provision, right? And make, yeah, yes, wealth, money is part of that provision, but he knows what you need. And we need to seek him and his kingdom, right? And so even, even as you're in your job, and I mean, we, we trade time for dollars, don't we? That's what a job does. I've taken X amount of hours in a day, and I've traded it for X amount of money. So why don't I take those X amount of hours that I'm trading and use them for the glory of God, right? How can I, how can I talk to people in the workplace that I work in about the things of God? How can I be a godly example to people where I work, to my boss, to the people that I interact with. If, hey, let's, let's make the trade for dollars worth it, right? Let's make it worth it. So um, keeping a heavenly perspective doesn't mean that you go out and max all your credit cards, right, and give no thought to your finances. Right? Uh, I remember reading not too long ago where someone thought that he was going to die, you know, and he had the X amount of time to live. And so he went on these big trips and he just totally maxed out everything credit-wise that he had because he thought, eh, <laughs> I'm going to die. Um, well, then he didn't. Right? He didn't. And now all of a sudden he's responsible for all that debt. So let's go back to the verse surrounding our, our initial verse. 
So godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, into many, uh, and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's a, to me. That's such a vivid thing. That plunging into ruin and destruction. Uh, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the, uh, this gentleman, David Croteau, on his site, Christianity.com, he says this, The main concern of Scripture is not your economic standing in society, but your attitude towards your money and possessions. Christians in any economic status can have a sinful attitude towards money that leads to their spiritual destruction. And I want to go back again to the, the word attitude, your attitude toward money and possessions. Remember, attitude is going to be expressed in action. Right? You can't hold attitude to yourself. There's sometimes you think, please hold that attitude to yourself. But you cannot hold your attitude to yourself. It will always come out in action. There's a warning for those who love money. It says that the ones that have loved money have wandered from the faith, right? And so and when, I, when I look at the word wandered, you know what, uh, wandering is this little, you know, the lazy river, right? It's not this straight shot. I'm going from godliness to evil, right, in a straight line. It's this these little, you know, we're talking about... Um, puzzle building, piece by piece, piece by piece. Oh, that piece got in there. I'm not even sure how it happened. You know, but then I, I went out and did this, and I, I put that piece into my own making, and it's this wandering. And so, you know, we still need to keep our sights on God and the things above. You know, they're, uh, <laughs> the opposite of the love of money, it says it right there in the, at that verse, that Godliness with contentment is great gain. Right? That's the opposite of the love of money is contentment. And, you know, there, there are people that don't have much physically but can be very content because their contentment isn't based on the dollar value on, in their bank account. Right? There are people who are wealthy <laughs> beyond my imagination. You know, I, I, I just look around town at some of these houses being built. I can't imagine having the money to build those houses. Right? I can't imagine carrying the mortgage. Um, but some of them maybe not even have a mortgage. You know, I can't imagine being the person that's building a $2.5 million house without a mortgage. Right? I don't know which is scarier to me, the $2.5 million house, or if I had to buy that house and have a mortgage on it. Right? But just because they have that possession doesn't mean that they have godliness with contentment. Right? And I would rather live in a smaller house that I can afford and have contentment because, and, and God provides, right? Um, so what do I want you to do this morning as a result of understanding that money in and of itself is not the root of all evil? So consider money for a minute now. Uh, do you have godliness with contentment? Maybe you, you look at the scripture and you say, uh, well, if I look at the scripture, I, I don't have the definition of, you know, I, I can't look at your defined love of money and say that I have that. 
But at the same time, I don't have the godliness with contentment. Are you worried about money all the time? Um, I want to encourage you, fight for the contentment, not the dollar value. Don't be the person that never has enough. And, you know, there's, there's practical things that you can do that help you move into contentment. And as, as simple as it sounds, and it is very difficult to do sometimes, is develop a budget. You know, lots of people talk about it, but not a lot of people do it. <laughs> well, budgets are so restrictive. Yes, <laughs> a budget is meant to be restrictive and show you what you're spending and limit your spending. So if you're saying, I'm spending $1,000 this month on groceries, when you get to $900, you think, I got $100 left. What am I going to do? Right? It's, it's supposed to be a, a filter, not a, not a like, ah, my budget, it's choking me. No, the way you're looking at your budget is the thing that's choking you. But, uh, and, you know, if you, are, if you are overwhelmed right now with your debt, and some people are, they're overwhelmed with their debt. There is professional counseling services that help people with that, right? And, you know, it may, may sound different coming from the pulpit, but some of those counselors, they do a great job in helping people. You know, it may not even be a Christian counselor, but those people are trained in helping you look at your money and how to deal with it properly. And so, you know, it's, it's sometimes, well, it is our own actions that lead us into debt. And we have to sometimes help, get help to be let out of it. And so make use of those tools that you have. But if you want godliness to go with that, then you have to pray, right? You need that heavenly perspective. And, you know, um, this is what the Word of God says. Do not worry about anything, but pray about everything. Right? Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we understand is peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. So uh, how can we experience godliness and contentment without prayer to go along, to push that along? If I'm worried about my finances, I am not going to have peace. <laughs> I am not. You will not have peace if you have issues with your finances. And so if you don't have that peace, then pray about it. It says to pray about everything. Well, why do we want to keep certain things from God? Right? The, the scripture we just looked at before said, God already knows what you need. Right. right? And so if he knows what we need, then let's talk to him about it. Right? Let's not be shy in praying about things. Right? Let's not be, oh, you know, I think sometimes we don't pray about things like money because we're embarrassed. Well, uh, you're, it's okay to go before God and feel embarrassed. Right? Tell God how you feel, right? Tell God what's going on. It's not a, it's not a secret to him. It may be a secret to others, but it's not a secret to him. So you may as well voice it to him, right? And pray about it, you know, and <laughs> I, I used to have this thing, well, I, I pray in my mind. You know, I, I can lay in bed and just pray. Well, you know, I, I have found prayer goes a lot further when you actually speak it out loud. Right, to actually hear yourself say it and to admit how you're feeling and the things that you're dealing with before God. Right? To actually say it out loud and yeah, oh, that's a weight off. To actually talk to God out loud, right? Talk to God out loud. So when you pray, 
talk to God out loud about everything, tell him what you need, and thank him for all he has done, because God has done things, right? Understand and realize that God has done things. And be specific. Thank him for what he has done. Well, God, thank you for all that you have done. Well, what's he done? Get specific and thank him for it. Because that will help build your faith, too, about the next thing. When you see something concrete that God has done, it will help build your faith. So prayer should be the default response to worry, not more worry, right? Talk it out with God. Pray first. If you love money, you won't pray first, right? You won't pray first. So pray first and experience God's peace the way that Scripture intended us to be and get to that point where the river of life flows out from you, not being dammed up by something in behind. I just want to invite you to stand. So this morning, uh, we're coming to the end of our service, and I just would like to invite you, if you need prayer this morning for something, it doesn't have to be about finances. Maybe it's, I, there's, I don't even want to speculate what it might be about. We, uh, we want to make a provision of a time of prayer. Right, Jasmine and I are here to pray with you this morning. Uh, you know, I was, was talking to somebody last week, and I was talking about the kids. You know, and I'm so encouraged to see Karen in the service this morning. That was really exciting to me, you know. That, uh, she's been so faithful in dealing with the kids, and she's had this faithful team surrounding her to, to help her. Uh, but it's great to see the kids being here and, and Karen being here. Um, where was I going with that? Yeah. So, thank you. And I said to someone, you know, like, we, we need to have experiences ourselves so that we can tell our kids and our grandkids about the faithfulness of God, right? How can we tell them what God has done? And, you know, how can we expect our kids to grow up serving God if we have nothing in our lives to share with them about what God has done in our own lives? So I want to make that opportunity for you this morning. Come, if you need prayer for something, Come for prayer. Let God do something in your life that you can pass on to your children and your grandchildren to show the faithfulness of God. And, and maybe it's about finances. Maybe it's not. Uh, the reason to come for prayer isn't necessarily tied into the sermon itself. But we want to give God an opportunity to, to be who he is for us in a corporate setting, right? So um, I'm going to pray to close the service. Uh, invite you if you are here and you'd like to stay around for a few minutes uh, the foyer is open there's coffee on if you would like prayer please come forward and allow us the privilege of praying with you and let's just see what god will do right thank you god for who you are thank you that you provide contentment and that contentment isn't bound by our finances thank you god that we can have a perspective that puts treasures in heaven that we we want to build the kingdom we don't want to just build for ourselves we want to build for the kingdom we want to work towards something eternal in these years that we have here on earth that we would affect the people around us and that we would affect the generations yet to come that they would see the faithfulness of god and they would be spurred on to serve you because of how faithful you've been to them and to their parents and their grandparents and the people around that they have seen. And that your, your goodness and your provision and your answering prayer is just a, 
isn't supernatural anymore. It's just a natural part of our lives. It's just what happens because we serve you. So we thank you for this time, God. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the, the love you have for us that's expressed through your word and what the character you want us to be like is. We thank you for today. God, go with these people as they go this morning. Thank you for the people who are here. Lord, speak to people's hearts and lives this morning. People who are joining us by the podcast, God, even though it's a, an electronic means, you are not bound to just be here in church. You can reach out to people as they've listened to a podcast over time. So God, touch people, anyone who listens to this, may they know your care and your love for them and your provision and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.